Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in Deuteronomy as we conclude our series today, Life in Christ. You may be seated. We begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this day for your mercy that you have shown our church, that you have gathered us here to receive your gifts, to hear your word, to learn it together, and to care for everyone you've given us in this place. Now, Lord, as your word works in our hearts and our lives, we pray, Lord, you would empower us to go out into this world and shine as lights in the darkness, delivering your good news and your hope to a world that seems so lost. Have mercy on us now, Lord, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you guys ever seen those videos? Uh, they show these oftentimes. They'll start coming up on my Facebook feed. I'm really a sucker for these videos. Uh, the ones where uh, you have a kid who's sort of at a baseball game and he goes to throw the first pitch and the child gets up and he, he throws out the first pitch of this game and uh, the catcher gets the ball and goes out to shake the kid's hand and when the catcher takes his mask off, it's like the father who's been deployed and the kid wasn't expecting to see his dad there and suddenly he runs up and embraces him in tears and he's all excited because here's dad who's been gone at war and now he's home and they're, they're just so happy to be back together. Or you see it like they're in a classroom and there's kids working at their desks and in through the back door comes in a mom who's been deployed and she kind of says her child's name and the child perks up and looks around and sees mom, like flies out of the chair and runs up and embraces mom and there's tears and there's joy and all the kids are happy and the teachers are crying and I'm crying and you're crying and we're all crying. It's like the greatest thing you've ever seen. You ever seen those videos? If you haven't, you should. They're kind of fun. Um, I love those things. And I love those things because they're just such a beautiful picture in the life of this family. These children who feel like their parents were lost to them are now home. That which was gone has been restored. Life is back to the way it's supposed to be. The fear of loss is gone. And they're embracing their parents. And the parents are embracing their children. Beautiful. Life is back to the way it's supposed to be. Now, I want you to keep that image in the back of your head right now. We're going to revisit it here in a few minutes. But I think it's a very helpful picture for us to have in our minds today as we talk about what it means for us as disciples to care for everyone that God has given us. Especially today as we talk about caring for those God has given us in the world. As I mentioned sort of at the beginning of, before we got into the prayer today, we are concluding our series on hear, learn, and care. We're concluding our series on discipleship, where we've been talking about what the Bible teaches us about being disciples. And we're trying to figure out what does that look like here at Community Lutheran Church? How does the biblical picture of discipleship shape the ministry at CLC? How does it shape the way we live individually as disciples in this world? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ here at Community Lutheran Church? And we've said we believe our God is a God who comes to us by means of his word and his sacraments in the worship service. So when we gather here for worship, we actually hear God together. Disciples are those who hear God's word and worship. And then we also believe that our God is not hiding his will for us somewhere up in heaven, but rather has delivered it to us by means of the Bible. And the Holy Spirit works on us and speaks to us by means of words on a page. 
And so disciples are those who study the Word of God together, and we started doing that here in our, our community groups and in our Bible study. I hope you've been a part of a community group, and it's been a great blessing for you. I know our community group has been a great blessing for me. It's been a lot of fun for us. Then we've said this, that once the Word of God is working on us, we become kind of like these trees that Jesus has planted by streams of living water. We talked about this in Psalm 1 this morning. And that living water flows into us. That word comes to us and it gives us deep roots and it helps us grow strong. And then suddenly we start to produce fruit. Good works start to appear in the life of the disciple. God works through us to care. This activity of care, these fruits we produce, are to be found in every area of our lives. Now last week we said this, that there are sort of two arenas that we want to focus on for our areas of care. There's the church, which you have been made a part of by virtue of your baptism. You've been brought into this body, and you're called to care for everybody in this room this morning. And let's be honest just real quick. 9.30 service, one service, everybody in here? It's kind of fun, isn't it? This is a good time. I I always enjoy the fifth Sunday. This is good. Uh, You guys sing a lot louder on these days. It's kind of nice. Uh, And then I also, so the arena of the church, we're caring for everybody here in the body. But God doesn't sort of, sort of bring us in here, as Jim said this morning, just to care for one another. But we're also called by Christ to care for the world around us. We've been sent out as salt and light into this world to care for the entire creation. So we care for everyone God gives us in the church, but we also care for everyone God gives us in every other arena or area of our lives. And we're going to call that area of the world. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. Now, it does seem kind of obvious to say something like this, that disciples are supposed to care for the world. It seems like an obvious thing to say, but if you actually look at the history of the church, the church hasn't always understood that. The church has always kind of struggled to figure out how are we to relate to this creation? How are we to relate to the world and to the sinners outside of those doors? Forgetting that there's a lot of sinners inside of these doors. Uh, So the church tries to figure this out. So what the church does is it has a lot of sort of bad responses, or at least misguided responses. Sometimes the church has said this historically, our responsibility towards the world is to flee from it. It's dirty, it's sinful, and it's evil, and we want to make sure we keep ourselves nice and clean and pure for Jesus, so we're going to remove ourselves from the world. We're going to leave behind all kinds of worldly responsibilities. We're going to join monasteries, and we're going to become nuns, and we're going to just pray for 17 hours a day. The world is evil, so we need to pursue that which is spiritual. Sometimes the church has said we need to start to look more like the culture. We need to adopt the attitudes and the actions and the activities of the culture. And so sure, we'll put like Christian language on top of it, but there's really going to be no difference between us and what we look like and what the culture looks like. Sometimes we believe we're supposed to change the culture, we're to combat the culture, we go to war with the culture. You've heard of this language. Uh, that the church is right now in a cultural war. We're fighting to maintain the power and influence that the church has always had because we believe it's the church's uh, job to purify this world. And so we fight against the culture, and we try and give ourselves all the influence and all the power over the culture. I mean, that kind of sounds like a good idea until the church gets all that influence and power and starts calling for wars. You know, the state begins... Uh, to look like the church, and the church begins to look like the state, and that always kind of leads to some pretty sticky stuff. 
And so what is our attitude to be towards this world? How are we as Christians to live in this world? Are we to flee from it? Are we to change it? Are we to fight it? Like, how do we fit into this thing? Well, I think if we're going to actually get the answer to this question, we should probably look to Jesus. That seems like a good idea. Why don't we hear and learn from Christ and see the way that he treated this world? Now, the first thing we have to remember is the thing we just sang about this world. This world uh, is not inherently evil. It's corrupted by sin, but it's not inherently evil. Why? This is my father's world, right? He created the thing. What's Jesus' attitude towards the world? Well, he loves it because he made it. The father, through the son and the power of the Holy Spirit, created this world. Jesus is the one by whom and for whom and through whom this place came into existence. Now, the problem with the world is, is that those who were in charge of it, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. All of humanity has followed suit. We've all lived in rejection of our Creator, and we have rebelled against Him. We've turned our backs on Him and tried to be our own gods and control this place on our own. And what was Jesus' attitude towards the world when we did that? Did He run off and start another world? No. Instead, He entered into the world. He became a part of the world. Jesus put on the creation. He put on human flesh. The big theology word for this is the incarnation. Eugene Peterson, who is a marvelous author, in his translation, the message says, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. I like that. He moved into the neighborhood. He made this place his own. And all the sin and all the evil and all the rebellion and rejection and corruption that has fallen upon this creation because of our sin, Jesus took it into himself. He brought it into his person. And he carried it to a cross where he could bleed and die for it and leave it in a grave. Because of his death on the cross, your sins, which have ruined this creation, have been forgiven. And Jesus' death on the cross brings that reign of sin and evil and corruption to an end. But once he brings that to an end, what does he do? Just take off until maybe some other time when he shows up again one day? Does he leave this world in some spiritual, uh, to go off to some spiritual existence where he's in bliss while we suffer? No. No. What does Jesus do on the third day after he dies? What does he do? He, he rises. He comes back to life. He doesn't leave the creation behind. He continues on as a human being. Jesus walks out of the tomb. He doesn't leave his body in the grave. Jesus walks out of the tomb. And I love this scene on Easter morning when Jesus walks out of that tomb and Mary comes to find Jesus. And where does she find him? Out working in the garden. She confuses him for the garden. Why does she do that? Well, I like to think that he's pulling the weeds, you know. He's getting rid of all the corruption. The thorns and thistles that have infested the ground, Jesus is undoing those things. And what we learn from the resurrection of Christ is that part of his resurrection work is the restoration of that which was destroyed. It's the the cleansing of that which was corrupted. It's the undoing of sin's work on this creation. Jesus has risen from the dead and he has promised to restore all things to the way they are supposed to be. He's weeding the garden. That is his resurrection work. Now, what's really remarkable, if you start to think about what this means for us, is that you and I are a part of this resurrection work. You and I are a part of what Jesus is restoring to the way it's supposed to be. And he began doing this in you when you were baptized. 
Listen to what St. Paul writes about your baptism in Romans 6. He says this. If we've been united with him in a death like his, that is, when you were baptized, you were crucified with Christ. Your sinful nature was put to death on that cross. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In your baptism, you were crucified and raised. Jesus is doing resurrection work in you. So Paul says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider yourselves, and he's speaking in the present tense, now, not in some future existence, now consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Well, I think at least partially what this means, there's a lot going on here, but at least partially what it means is this, is that Jesus has raised you up in him now to, can, to join him in his resurrection work here in this creation. He's giving you this creation back as something to love, as something to care for. He's giving you the people in this world back as people to love and to embrace. See, sin corrupted everything so far that every uh, relationship that we have was messed up. Obviously, in our rebellion against God, we rejected the Father. We rejected God, and that relationship was broken. The relationship you recall from between Adam and Eve, they began to fight with one another. And human relationships were, were corrupted. And then with the rest of creation, the whole creation was subjected to sin because of Adam and Eve's sin. Listen to what God says to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. The goodness of creation, the goodness of the relationships we have in this world, all of it is destroyed by sin. But you see, that's the beauty of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection work. That crucifixion reconciles you to God. That resurrection means that all the other relationships that are broken are going to be restored. This is partially what we meant last week when we said you're a part of the body of Christ. You are now a part of a body of people who ought to be at peace with one another, working towards love with one another, forgiveness and healing. That should be the way life works in the church, and that should reflect then in the way we live in this world, that we should be going forth as people of hope, people of peace, people of mercy and forgiveness, light in this dark and corrupted world. So Christ invites us into this resurrection work. And this is where I want us to go back now to that image we had at the beginning of the sermon, where the fathers or the mothers who were deployed are being restored to their children. Those children lived in fear of never seeing their parents again. They thought they were lost and done for. At least that was a fear that was always sitting in the back of their minds. And then suddenly when they show up, all joy is restored. All life is back to normal. This is the way things are supposed to be. And they run and they embrace their parents. Well, this is what Jesus has done for us in giving us the creation. We thought the creation was lost to us. We thought our place in this world was destroyed because of our sins. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, look what I have for you. You have your place back. I'm giving you the world back. I'm giving you everything that God intended for you to have back to you now. And we look at this creation and our eyes get big and we run and we embrace it. And we love it. And we tend to. And we care for it. We care for everyone and everything in this creation that God has given to us. We don't treat it as a burden any longer, but as a joy to live as God's recreated people in this place and to work with him to fight against sin, to fight against corruption, to pull the weeds and to help create this place to be true and good and beautiful the way God intended it. 
Now, what does that actually look like? How does this actually flesh itself out? Well, this work of, this good resurrection work that we have been called into, I think takes place in all of the relationships God has given us in this world. We call this, our big fancy Lutheran term for this is our vocation. And what this means is, is that in our vocations, in our families, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in all of the relationships that we have, God has people he has given us that he wants us to care for, he wants us to look after, that we are responsible for. And, and we carry out lives of love and peace towards them in every aspect, every area of our lives. We focus on those very people God has given us. And I think there's sort of three ways in which we are to do this. There's three things that we as Christians are to do to care for everyone God gives us in this world. The first way is this. Disciples, I think, are those who pray. We are to pray for everyone God has given. And pray for this world. That's what Jesus was doing in John 17 today. He was praying uh, for the world that he was sending his disciples into. He was praying for his disciples in that world that they would not be led into temptation, but that they would live lives of love. Now, it is interesting to me as you look through the New Testament and you start to wonder, how are we supposed to pray? What are we supposed to pray for? One of the primary areas that we are called to pray for is the government. Now, I don't know what you've been doing this last week, but clearly our government doesn't need a lot of prayer. But here's the thing. <laughs> uh, we as the church, regardless of your political leanings, which I think is becoming more and more sinful as we go on, but regardless of our leanings, you are to pray for the government. And not just imprecatory prayers either, like prayers that God would use them. We do this every Sunday here. We pray for our government. Why? Because the government is God's instrument of keeping order in society. And if that thing goes corrupt, then we're in a lot of trouble. And so we want to pray that we would have a good government with wise leaders who remain faithful and, as we prayed this morning, know that they are accountable to a voice higher than their own. We need to pray, obviously, for our families. We need to pray for our children, for our grandparents, for our spouses. We obviously, I mean, that's, it's sort of obvious, but this is some things we just don't do it all the time. We need to be praying for our schools, for the teachers in our school. But we need to be praying for our churches, of course. We need to be praying for our neighbors and our co-workers and our bosses. But whatever we're doing, as we enter into the arena of the world, the disciple goes armed with prayer. The prayer that says, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Because as we sang in, thy, uh, in the first hymn this morning, our hearts very often are prone to wander after sin. So if we're going to enter into this world to love it, we've got to recognize our own weaknesses. So we go in with prayer. Disciples pray. So that's the first thing. We pray. The second thing we do as disciples in this world is we participate. Again, this seems kind of obvious, but the, the church historically has said, no, you're not to participate. You are to flee. You're to run away from. That's not what Christ does. Christ participates. He moves into the neighborhood, right? Maybe this is what we're called to do as well. This means that you participate. It's a good thing for Christians to participate, say, in the local government. It's a good thing for Christians to volunteer and help with the local, you know, uh, little league to volunteer at your kids' sports teams, to volunteer at your grandkids' with your grandkids' sports teams. It means being involved with the lives of your children. It means being involved uh, with the neighborhood watch, 
It means showing up to work on time, working hard and diligently so your boss is pleased with you, so your coworkers' jobs are easier, and so your employees have an easier life, and so that your customers are well taken care of. It means working hard in this world and being salt and light. Christ has not called you out of the world, but he has sent you into the world. And this is even before we get to evangelism, and we'll get to evangelism in a second here. But if nothing else, disciples are called to participate and embrace the world with love, with hard work. But we have to recognize this, that hard work matters. Working hard for our neighbor matters, but it won't save them. It's not the gospel. Only the gospel will save them. Only the gospel will give them true hope. And so the disciple prays, the disciple participates, and then the disciple proclaims. We go into this dark and dreary world with a message of hope and of light. We go into a world so uh, um, overwhelmed by judgmentalism and legalism with a word of forgiveness and mercy. We go to a world of chaos with a word that brings order. We go into a dark place with a word of hope and light in Jesus Christ. The world seems to be falling off the rails, and this past week has been a rough one for many people following the news, but we know that we have hope far beyond what we see going on around us. That Jesus Christ has come in to pull the weeds, to redeem all of this, to restore all of this, all that is broken, he has forgiven. And all that is hopeful, he has given. The gospel, you see, must be proclaimed if there's going to be any hope anywhere. Think about this. I mean, this is really kind of a wonderful thing. Jesus has given this place back to you. He has given you the world back. He has surprised everyone by showing up in the flesh and wrapping his arms around us in love and mercy. And now he sends you and I, his disciples, you and I, who he promises to forgive and he promises to usher into everlasting life. He has sent us into the world to surprise it as well. You and I are given everyone by God. That is to say, we are called to care for everyone God gives us. And what a surprise it will be for this world if they actually see disciples doing this. Not running out there to judge and condemn. Running out to embrace. Not running away for the sake of fear. But running in to embrace and to love and to care for everyone and everything God has given us. The wonderful thing that would be. It's my prayer that we here at Community Lutheran Church would be those who hear and learn God's word and that it would so form and shape us that we would be a church knowing, be a church known for being a people, wow, this is a lot of stuff here, I'm, I'm losing it here, <laughs> that we would be a people who are known for caring for everybody that God gives us in this place and in the world around us. We care, you see, because Jesus first cared for us in this way. In his name we say all these things. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you cared for us in Jesus Christ, that he moved into the neighborhood, that he might remove the sin from our lives and restore us to be your people. As we now join him in this resurrection work of prayer and participation and proclamation, we pray, O oh Lord, you would give us your spirit to guide us and to direct us in all that we do. May we be found faithful to you in all things, and we thank you, O oh Lord, as we hear again today, you are always faithful to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.